Good morning, brothers and sisters. You know, among the key figures in the nativity narrative, Joseph sadly often gets somewhat overlooked. We know he's, he's a part of the picture in regards to the coming of Christ into the world, right? He's the head of the Holy Family. He's the husband of Mary, the foster father of Jesus. But because obviously the narrative is really all about Jesus and because Jesus's mother is so unique and holy, he gets usually pushed to the side a little bit. I mean, we all love him, but I mean, he's not Jesus and he's not Mary. Now that this is sad because Joseph after Mary is probably the most significant saint in the church. That's why you see his tradition in every Catholic church, statues of Mary and Joseph are pretty much required in the sanctuary. This is the holy family. Without Joseph, this would not have happened because he had an essential role to play in the coming of the Christ. It was his job to care for Jesus' mother and to help raise Jesus as a child. So again, we don't often appreciate and love Joseph the way we should. He's a saint that we all need in our lives. And if you think about it logically, it makes perfect sense that God the Father, in choosing a foster father for his son Jesus, would only choose the best. And he would give that man, maybe not the same graces he gave to Jesus, his mother, but very powerful graces so that he could become holy. And yet one of the things we know about our Lord is that he tests the saints. Now he already knows their response, but he tests them to make sure that they are the right ones, the right ones to do his will. And when we look at Joseph, we can see actually in our gospel today the test that God put him to. To see what kind of man he is. Is he the right man to be the foster father of my son? Is he the right man to represent me, Jesus' true father? Obviously he was because he is. He was chosen. So how do we know that Joseph has a heart and a mind so close to that of God the Father that he would be chosen for this special role. It's in our gospel today. At first glance, you wouldn't necessarily notice. But I'll read to you again what we hear. So Joseph and Mary are engaged. Now you have to understand something about Jewish custom and law back in that day. If you were engaged, you were married. That was it. An engagement was a marriage. You just didn't have the wedding yet. And until the wedding, you didn't live together. But it was considered marriage. So he is married to Mary. Now, he would have maybe met her once or twice, but they never spent any significant time together because this was an arranged marriage. Pretty much all Jewish marriages were arranged marriages. So he's met her once or twice, doesn't really know the girl, but... They're married. Now, we know the rest of the story. The angel Gabriel comes to her. She says yes, and she miraculously conceives the Son of God. But she immediately goes off to her cousin Elizabeth, who's been pregnant with John the Baptist, for six months. And she stays with her for at least three to four months to help take care of her. 
So by the time Mary gets back and Joseph sees her, she's beginning to show. Now, it's not Joseph's baby. We know that. Joseph knows that. And so what does he decide to do? Joseph decides to divorce her quietly. And he's about ready to do this when he goes to sleep and he has a dream. In this dream, an angel of the Lord speaks to him and tells him not to worry. This is not a regular conception. That this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, God himself. And that he has a special role in playing in the coming of the Messiah. And so Joseph wakes up. Obviously, he doesn't divorce Mary quietly, and he marries her. Now, many saints and others, theologians throughout history, believe that Joseph was willing and ready to divorce Mary quietly because he felt himself unworthy to be the foster father of the Son of God and the husband of his virgin mother. He felt himself unworthy. He was so holy, so humble, that he, he didn't want the job. But the Lord basically said, no, Joseph, I, I want you to do this, and he said yes to God. Now that is, I would say, generally the interpretation that, that many have in regards to this, this gospel in particular, and Joseph. And on some level, that sounds very beautiful, right? He's so humble. And we know God is so humble, so it makes sense that God would want him. My problem is that doesn't fit into the text at all in my belief. Why does Joseph decide to divorce Mary? The gospel tells us, first, he was a righteous man. Now, what does that mean? You have to be a Jew to understand what this means. A righteous man is one who follows all the laws of God, all of them. This is a Jewish man that seeks not to break a single law. He wants to be totally obedient to God in regards to the law that he has given through Moses. He is righteous in the sight of God, meaning he doesn't break the law. What is one of the laws? If your wife or your husband cheats on you, divorce them. So he realizes he can't marry this woman. He doesn't know her, but she's pregnant with someone else's baby. We know that he doesn't know that the Holy Spirit conceived this child because when the angel came to him in his dream, that was the message that they gave. Don't worry, this is a holy child, a divine child. This is a miraculous conception. Why would the angel have said this to him in the gospel if he already knew that? It doesn't make sense. Joseph decided to divorce her because he was a righteous Jew, a good and holy Jewish man, and he follows the law. How can he be married to a woman who cheated on him? So he decides to divorce her, which would have been the Jewish thing to do. Any good Jewish man would have done the same. And he is a very good Jewish man. However, we learn something far deeper and impressive about St. Joseph, because we're told that he wasn't just going to divorce her, he was going to divorce her quietly. This is a very important word in this context. You see, there were two types of divorces in Israel. There was public divorce, and there was quiet divorce. They're both divorces. A public divorce is when I would go out into the market and say, my wife is pregnant with someone else's baby. I divorce her. And everybody would know my wife's a cheater, and she'd get in trouble. 
and I'd be off scot-free, right? Then everyone would know that the divorce that I make with my wife is not my fault. I'm not taking the blame for her sin. I don't want to be persecuted or ostracized or thought sinful. Remember, for a Jew, being righteous, being sinless is very important. So this is the common way that people would get divorced. Some public shaming and ridicule, and the quote-unquote innocent party would go free. But there was also a law in Israel that you could divorce someone quietly without making a public statement. That you could not go public, not say the reasons for why you're getting divorced, just in agreement between the spouses, we're going to do this and not tell anybody why. Now the reason this was a law in Israel was because oftentimes the reason for divorce was not one-sided. And maybe the one who wanted divorce was the one who had sinned. And they didn't want to go out in public and say, I cheated on my spouse. That's why I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> they didn't want to shame themselves, so they would do it quietly. Maybe they'd pay off their spouse some money to, to help them keep quiet too. I don't know. But this was a law in Israel that was permitted. Now, why on earth would Joseph, who was a righteous man, decide to divorce her quietly? Think about it. He is accepting blame for the divorce by doing this. He is basically saying to all the people, you don't know the reason, so basically it's just as much my fault as hers. Now, it says that he was willing, he wanted to divorce her quietly because he was unwilling to expose her to shame. In his eyes, she deserved to be shamed if she had cheated on him. But I want you to think about it from Joseph's mindset. He doesn't judge her. He doesn't know why this happened. And so he doesn't presume to be the one to punish her or this unborn child. Clearly, he has a very gentle and compassionate heart that this woman he's about to divorce, who's not going to have a husband and who's going to have a baby, he doesn't want them to suffer by this public shame. And so he's willing to take some of the responsibility, even though he's innocent, in order to protect her and her unborn child. Why is God so pleased with this response? Because this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus looks at us, his bride, with our sinfulness, even though he's totally innocent, and he says, fine, I'll share the blame. And he suffers the guilt and the shame and the abuse of our sins, even though he's innocent, just to protect us. That is the heart of the Christian message salvation through Christ. And where did Jesus say he learned this message? From his heavenly Father. Jesus learned to love this way from God the Father. And so it makes sense that God the Father would look for a foster father for his son after his own heart. A man who is willing, an innocent man who is willing to protect the guilty from their own sins, to save them. That's why he is the perfect foster father of our Lord. And if you have any other doubt that he is such a great saint, consider for a moment his patronage. So every saint is patron of something or someone or, or, or you, know, you know, you can look it up. St. Anthony is a classic one, patron saint of finding stuff. 
St. Francis of Animals, and so on and so forth. They say, you know who the patron saint of fast food is? Saint Kateri, take it with you? I don't know if I said that too fast. Kateri, take it with you? So, I don't know. Okay, fine. But I have a priest friend of mine, whenever he's looking for a parking space, always prays to Saint Chrysostom. And I was like, I didn't know he was the patron saint of parking spaces. Why do you do that? He goes, oh, no, he's, it's not official. But I figured nobody prays to St. Chrysostom for anything. And so if I ask him for this, he's going to be like, hey, God, can I help him? <laughs> no one asks me for help. <laughs> but but St. Joseph is probably the greatest patron saint of the church, second only to Mary, because he is patron saint of the church. He's patron saint of the whole church of Jesus Christ, the whole body of Christ. But we shouldn't be surprised by this because God the Father entrusted to Joseph's care the two most precious gifts he could offer, his own divine son and his son's immaculate mother. The trust that God the Father has in St. Joseph is perfect. And yes, we trust Jesus above all others. He is our savior and our savior alone. And yes, we trust his mother because Jesus wants us to have a relationship with his mother. But oftentimes we fail to have a proper relationship with his foster father, St. Joseph. The Holy Family always sticks together. They always sticks together. Joseph is probably the quietest of the three. In the Gospels, he's not recorded ever saying one word. Mary is only recorded saying a few things. Jesus talks a lot. Of course, he's the word of God. It's loud. Joseph is incredibly humble and silent. And yet he is the head of the holy family. And we all need him in our lives, especially as men and fathers of our own families. We need Joseph's help to be the best father. We can be a father after the heart of God the Father. And so don't forget, during the last days of Advent and during the Christmas season, to show proper reverence and devotion to Saint Joseph. He is a part of this narrative, an essential part, chosen by God. And God wants him to be a part of our lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.